for this opportunity to come and share some encouragement for us. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, very familiar passage of scripture. We're going to be uplifting the eighth verse, and I'll be reading from the King James Version. 1 Peter, chapter 5, starting at the eighth verse. Oh, how sweet is the sound of the pages of the Holy Writ being turned. Amen. If you have it, you should see these words. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect establish, strengthen, settle you. Here's the benediction of verse 11. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to share with us from the thought just a little while. Just a little while. I'm sure that some of us are tired. I'm sure that some of us are stressed out. I'm sure that some of us are perplexed in terms of how long this pandemic has been taking place. We're on edge about the violence that is taking place in our streets. Even the violence that's taking place in our schools. You know, when we talk about just a little while, it speaks to a measurement of time. It speaks to something that is indefinite but yet temporary. It's something that is present, but not permanent. You see, it's not about the amount of time that we have to endure afflictions and suffering. It is about what God is going to accomplish in our lives. 
I think that you would agree with me that we could endure suffering and afflictions better if we were able to know three things. Number one, what is the cause of our affliction and suffering? What's the source of it? Number two, if we can't avoid afflictions and suffering, it would be good to know when it starts, how long it's going to be. Typically, when things occur in our life, it occurs unexpectedly. Now, leads me to point number three. We want to know when the affliction and suffering is going to end. You know, the fact of the matter is, we're not going to know. We're not always going to be able to identify what has brought the calamity that we're currently experiencing in our lives. We're not always going to be able to accept what the source of our suffering is. Or the time in which we have to endure, that we have to be up under affliction and suffering. If you're sitting here today, I think you agree with me and know that it's a very familiar psalm that we love to quote in the 30th number of Psalms, verse 5. It says that weeping may endure for a night. That phrase, may endure, doesn't really speak to 12 hours. It speaks to, in its translation, something that is lodged and that would continue. I know all of us have had some experiences that the tears that you cried at night carried over into the morning. Do I have a witness in here? Tragedy and heartache and pain has flooded your life. And so while the psalmist is saying that weeping may endure for a night, the beauty of what is being penned is when he says, but joy will come in the morning. And that joy doesn't take place because the sun is shining. The joy could come in the midnight hour when it's just you and the Lord by yourself. And he says something that you need to know. He encourages you in that moment. I know I got one or two witnesses in here that can attest that it's a lot of truth to the experiences that we have in this life. As a believer, as a child of God, we have a guarantee when it comes to the affliction, when it comes to the suffering that we are going to experience in this life. Here it is. Just a little while, God will provide the grace we need in the times of suffering so that you and I can grow spiritually. That's the thesis. That's the main point of this message. Let me say it again. Just a little while, God will provide the grace we need 
in times of suffering so that you and I can grow spiritually. So that premise raises at least three questions. Number one, what responsibility do we have as believers to heighten our level of awareness? Number two, who plays an intricate role in the afflictions and sufferings that we encounter in this life? And then number three, lastly, how does God use suffering to connect us to his grace and promote his purposes in our lives? Well, let's get into it. First Peter. First Peter is a letter that Peter, the apostle, the disciple, is penning to some Christians that are scattered about. And the truth of the matter is, church, the church right now is scattered about. And so in this text, he says that we have two responsibilities. The first is, number one, to be sober. To be sober. This isn't necessarily the type of sobriety or soberness that is associated with being under the influence of alcohol. But this soberness speaks to specifically that our minds, that we have to be alert. We have to be self-controlled and we have to be serious. Our second responsibility is the fact that Peter says that we need to be vigilant, which means to be awake. And not only are we awake, but we need to be watchful. Do I have a witness in here? You know, we living in a world today where it's so easy for us to be distracted by all that's going on around us. And all those distractions take our focus, take our attention away from what God is doing in our lives. We have to be very careful. That's why Peter is commanding us to be sober, be alert, be on the watch, be on the lookout. Well, Peter, why do we need to be on the lookout? Because Peter here is going to issue an APB, an all-points bulletin. He says here, because your adversary, do I have a witness in here? You do know we have an adversary, don't you? You do know we have an enemy. That word adversary means to bring about accusations. Don't you know that Satan goes before God and tell on you? Look, look, he's out cold with it. First, he'll tempt you. Then he'll go and tell on you. That's a lot of nerve. That's a lot of nerve. He's our adversary. When you think about it, when you think about it, 
we need to heighten our level of awareness. I remember a story that I read about some soldiers who were in the Vietnam War, a group of army recruits. They were just learning how to use their weapons. On this particular day, they were handed a brand new M16 rifle. While they were sitting in the safety of their classroom, the recruits were not taking the instructor or the instructions seriously. Suddenly, the drill sergeant slammed his fist on the table and shouted, gentlemen, I have survived a tour of duty in Vietnam, and knowing how to use my weapon was one reason I made it. Now it's your turn. That startled the recruits. They gulped and fell silent and began to start paying attention to the sergeant as he continued his demonstration. When we are facing such a powerful enemy, there's nothing like someone standing up and saying, brothers and sisters, I've been on the battlefield and I can tell you how to defeat the enemy. That's exactly what Peter is saying to us in this text. Peter has some experiences with Satan. You do know that what Jesus told Peter in the gospel according to Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you up like wheat. Do I have a witness in here? But here's the good news. Jesus said, I have prayed for you. Yeah, I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. Well, this is Peter carrying out what Jesus had told him to do. You see, the problem that we have right now, brothers and sisters, if we're honest, some of us don't even know we have an enemy. Or some of us don't even believe that we have an enemy. There was an article that was published back in 2009. The article was entitled, Most Christians Do Not Believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit exist. So the Burner Group, they polled 1,871 self-described born-again Christians. And here's what's so startling. Here's what's so startling. 60% of them said that they strongly or somewhat agreed with the statement. Now here's the statement. Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. That means six out of ten Christians don't believe that Satan is an actual entity. I'm, I'm troubled by that, Deke. I'm troubled by that because these, I said, born again Christians. To be born again means that you believe in the finished works of Jesus Christ. So, 
if Jesus said that the devil is real, how is it that we have a problem in recognizing that the devil is indeed real? Oh, I know I ain't going to get a lot of amen on that. Because right now in this congregation, there may be six out of ten of you that don't believe that Satan is real. There may be some of you that are watching on live stream that don't believe that Satan is real. And you know what? That's the greatest trick that Satan has played on the world. To make us believe that he don't exist. But he does exist. Why? Because the Bible says that he exists. Do I have a witness in here? Satan is comfortable with you thinking that he's just a, a symbol of evil. He's comfortable with that. He's okay with that. Peter goes on and he goes into a description of our enemy. He says specifically that Satan is like a roaring lion. A roaring lion. You know, a lion's roar is meant to intimidate his prey. You, you do know that, right? A lion will roar in the octaves and, and the decimals of his growl will scare its prey right in their tracks. And that's what Peter is calling out. He's calling out Satan's posture. You see, Satan wants to pounce on us. He wants to pounce on us and he wants to bite us at our neck. That's what a lion does. A lion will bite you at the neck to cut off your circulation, to make you weak. Brothers and sisters, we have a real enemy. He wants to suffocate you. He wants to squeeze you. He wants to devour you, which literally means that he wants to eat you. Jesus told us in John 10 and 10 that the thief cometh not but to what? Steal and to kill and to destroy. Peter describes the posture of Satan or the posture of the devil as a roaring lion. But, but, but here's the thing about a roaring lion. That's all Satan can do. He, all he can do is roar. But for you and I that are in Christ, we have a ruling lion. Do I have a witness in here? You do know that Jesus is the lion of Judah and that he is a ruling lion. Do I have a witness in here? That's who we serve. That's who we need to pay attention to. Jesus the Christ. I remember a report back Back in August of this year, there was a five-year-old boy who lives in Calabasas, California. The little boy was out playing in the front yard when all of a sudden 
a 65-pound mountain lion came out of nowhere and attacked him. The little boy's mother rushed out the house after she heard the screams of her little boy being attacked by a mountain lion. The mother took no thought to her own safety. The record declares that she had beat that lion with her bare hands. She beat him so much deep that the lion had to let the little boy go. And you know, I thought about that. I thought about that in our relationship with Jesus Christ because that's exactly what Jesus would do. You don't, you don't have to fight Satan on your own, just in Jesus. All this mess about, I'm going to stump on the devil's head. No, you're not. No, you can't. You won't be able to do that. Don't fool yourself. I don't care how good it sounds in the song. It's not biblical. Yeah. So the question is, how do we respond when the devil seeks to attack us? Because he is walking about. He is seeking whom he may devour. How do we respond to this as believers? Well, Peter tells us. First, Peter says that we need to resist him. How do we resist the devil? Well, you remember what James told us in James 4 and 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will what? Flee you. Yeah. We got to submit ourselves to the Lord. But then Peter also says that we need to be steadfast in the faith. What does it mean to be steadfast in the faith? It means that we should be firm in our faith. We must remain sure in our faith. So how do we stand firm? How do we remain sure? How do we become immovable? By being confident in this fact. And here it is. We are not alone in the afflictions that we experience in this life. Let me say that again. We are not alone in the afflictions, in the heartache, in the heartbreak, in the calamity, in the trials, in the tribulations, in the sufferings. We are not alone. You see, that's what a lion wants to attack. A lion will attack the weakest or the one animal that fell behind the pack. See, Satan wants you to think that you're isolated. He wants you to think that you're going through this all by yourself. He wants you to think that nobody cares about your situation. He wants you to think that there's no hope at all. But my brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that right now, today, that we need each other. And the reason that we need each other so that we can provide strength to one another. Thank you, choir, for reminding us that I need you and you need me. 
We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. And here's the thing that I know. You can't stand with me if you're not present. It's hard to be connected to the body when you choose not to be connected to the body. I know that there are some of us who are still in captivity of our fear. I know that you watch the news every hour. Turn the TV off and open your Bible. See what the Lord has to say. Now, let me be clear. Let me be clear, because I gave my phone number out. <laughs> I don't want nobody calling me about this one. Let me be clear. If you have a health condition, if you have circumstances that prevent you from coming to church, we understand. But it's those of you who are falling away don't you know that Satan has you exactly where he wants you to be? To be isolated, to be alone, to be disconnected from the body of Christ? You waiting for the pandemic to get over. Who says that it will? I'm going to move on because I gave my number out. Again, Satan wants us to believe that we are alone. That's why the psalmist wrote in the 34th number of Psalms, verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But here's the good news. But the Lord delivers us through them all. That's a guarantee. That's a promise, y'all. That's a promise. Now, here we are at the dividing line. There's a dividing line in the text. If I were you, I would draw a line between verses 10 and verses 11. That is the dividing line. Because the reason I say that it's a dividing line is because it's how Verse 11 opens up. Peter reminds us about our responsibility, that we need to have a heightened level of awareness. He also has informed us of the identity of our enemy and his tactics and the things that he will try to do, right? But now, here it is, that Peter is going to now direct our attention to what God is doing in our lives. How does he do that? Verse 11 starts out and says, or verse 10 says, but the God of all grace. Y'all don't know when to shout. But the God of all grace. That's a dividing line, right? Because but is a conjunction. It's a conjunction with a function. The function that it fulfills is the fact that it's a change about to occur. Something different is about to happen. Something is about to take place in the text. 
I wish I had a few but God Christians. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I used to be a whoremonger, but God. I used to drink every Friday and Saturday night, but God. I used to hang out and party all the time, but God. I used to try to use people and even got used, but God. Do I have one or two witnesses in here that knows that God has delivered you from what you used to be and purposed in your life to what he wants you to be? I like some but God, Christian. Used to smoke a lot of weed, but God. Used to talk about and gossip people, but God. Didn't know if I was going to hell, but God. Do I have a witness in here? I love this about God because God has the ability that when God enters into our situation, when God manifests himself in our circumstances, there is a change. There's a change. See, on the front half of the text, Satan was doing some stuff. But now you see Satan is not mentioned anymore. Which means that his power is limited. You do remember Job, don't you? When, when Satan had to answer to God and give account for what he was doing, God said, you know, what you doing, Satan? Going to and fro. Right? God is all-powerful. The devil is limited in his power. He is not omnipresent. The devil is not omnipresent. He just got a lot of people on his squad. You'll get that when you get home. Here it is. Peter says, but the God of all grace has called us. Don't you know that God has called you? And you don't have to be a preacher to be called. Because Peter makes it clear in 1 Peter 2 and 9, but ye are a what? Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the promises or praises of him who what? Called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And, 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 and here's the text. After that we have suffered a while. You see, our faith in the finished works of Christ Jesus is what makes God's grace available to us while we are in the midst of suffering. Did you hear what I said? Our faith in the finished works of Christ makes God's grace available to us when we are in the midst of our afflictions, when we are in the midst of heartache and pain, when we are in the midst of confusion. His grace is available. Not only is it available, but God always keeps himself accessible. 
<laughs> Brothers and sisters, in this life, we are going to experience suffering. We're going to experience some affliction. The fact of the matter is, I like this quote from Dr. Charles Stanley when he said that the dark moments of our life will last only so long as it is necessary for God to accomplish his purpose in us. So do me a favor, take your eyes off the clock. Take your eyes off the calendar and focus your attention on to what God is purposing in your life. Here's the joy that just a little while, just a little while that we can see the purposes of God in our sufferings. Here's what it is. God says that he will make you perfect, meaning that he's going to fit you and that you're going to be complete. He's going to establish you. That means to make you to stand and be supported. He's going to strengthen you, meaning that he's going to be able to restore us after we have gone through some trials. And yet, lastly, he will settle you. You know, settle is being on a sure foundation. There's nothing like the solid rock of Jesus that I stand. All other ground is but sinking, sinking sand. I like what Paul says in Romans 8 and 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but a moment, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There will be glory after this. There'll be joy after this. Hold on just a little while longer. Everything, everything, everything will be all right. And the reason that I know that it's going to be all right, because through 40 and two generations, Jesus came down. He healed the sick, provided sight for the blind. Jesus raised the dead. They took him from judgment hall to judgment hall. They couldn't find no fault with him. Jesus died on that cross, buried in the borrowed tomb. But early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. He declared that all the power in heaven and earth is in my hand. And that power that's in Jesus' hand makes it possible for you and I to hold on just a little while longer. As we stand to our feet, we don't know who is in the midst. We don't know.